This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick the two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PitcherList, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 year older, 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1 800 Next Step. In New York, call 1 877 8 Hope NY. In Tennessee, call 1 800 889 How's it going and welcome to episode 130 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. You can follow me at 80Grade, that's all spelled out. And of course, you can follow Kevin Hastings at Hastings Kevin. Speaking of which, Kevin is back again. Kevin, how are you doing? Doing wonderful, man. It's uh, it's hard to believe that we're in September and as, as much as... We're when we're in the off season and not waiting for the season to begin. And then lots of years, it seems as the season rolls on, it seems to drag a little bit through the end of August into September, the dog days of summer. Sure, I'm not feeling that this year. I'm already a little down that we only have four, Anxious, four weeks to go. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely a certain level of anxiety that comes with this time of year regardless of where you are in your standings or how many leagues you're in is between head-to-head playoffs starting and or just trying to get in the top three of your roto leagues or trying to cash trying to win whatever but you're right it's like we've it's just we've been the thing is too is that we've been talking every week or pretty just about all season and it's like it just doesn't seem to be ending and then you realize you look at the calendar and you're like Oh, it's September 1st already. <laughs> I, I am not going to give Ron Manfred credit for anything, but some of the, uh, some of the rules changes, especially those that have obviously contributed to the fact that we've seen a lot of young players from the very beginning of the season, starting out with their teams. And then every week, all season long, getting the new ones into the player pool has just been amazing. But again, I'm not giving Rob Manfred credit not. for that. No. Of course not. Yeah, I'm still, from a business standpoint, I am very curious. I haven't seen anything on this. I'm sure it'll come out at some point in the offseason. I'm curious to know if stadiums saw a, or how much of a decrease they saw in their vending. Because the attendance is up. At least 30, 45 shorter, minutes right? shorter. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Like you said, we had lots of young players that have, we've seen this year from the start. And as we are hitting September, we're starting to see a lot more. So we're going to talk a lot about those players and the like. And luckily, we have a very special guest with us this week to help us break down all the fab options and talk about a lot of these young players. Just 
joining us to talk about rosters expanding and every and everything else is Sam Worshing, who you should already be following at SamFBB1 on the Twitter. You should be listening to him on Dynasty Guru, the Palazzo podcast. He's contributing as well as being the host of Peace Love Baseball podcast. As I mentioned, we'll talk to Sam about the prospects. He expects to have a strong September and the ones he that might not get the call this year, but could fight their way up to the 2024 opening day roster. Like Jordan Walker, Bobby Witt Jr. the year before, and we've seen a couple others do that. And then, of course, we've had the other ones on the other side of things where we expect to make the opening day roster like the Matt Mervises of the world that don't. So it's a double-edged sword there. But before we get into all that, Sam, thank you so much for joining us, man. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Very humble to be here. So thanks for having me on. I'm really excited as we get into September. I agree with you very much, Kevin, that this has felt like a locomotion into September. Like this just hasn't stopped. And I also don't want to give the man who shall not be named any credit, but the changes that we were worried about last November have really borne some fruit and I I think revenues are probably up across the board in spite of shorter games because people, it's become more accessible for people. And that's awkward for me to admit how wrong I was about that. Also, my Mariners are in first place in the AL West and I'm just losing my mind over here. They all caught fire at the same time in July and then took that to a whole nother level in August. And they have some real performers, not only in real life baseball, but players that have made a difference on fantasy rosters here as we've gotten out of the spring and into the summer and into this locomotion into the end of the year. And it's been exciting for me every day. I get a look at a box score and just smile. And (laughs) speaking of the Mariners and performers, they got run DMC on their side. Oh my God. Oh my God. You saw that on Twitter that Julio bought track suits, Adidas track suits for the entire team that were custom and inspired by run DMC and Scott service said it was okay, and then got Rev Run on the phone, and he addressed the club, and it was just, that team, that is exactly the level that I want, because you know that those guys work hard. I I believe they're absolute professionals, but how do you go through 162 games? We've been talking about it's a locomotion this year. It's been coming at us. There's so many things happening, and Mm -hmm. you got to stay loose. You got to... You got to be able to breathe and their ability to do that this year as a fan. There's so many demons from years past that promises unfulfilled that this team just seems to have its own thing going on. And it's been a culmination of the last couple of years and it's no longer a fluky record in one run games. We have a terrible record in one run games. It's no longer a fluky extra innings record. We've got a losing record in extra innings this year. We're just beating people. And that's how my time's been. (laughs) yeah i think most of us would take that in a heartbeat so that the appreciated to know where you're at sam and it can be so infectious to everybody else as well whether you're a mariners fan or not definitely appreciate that for sure let's let's roll that excitement right into our news and notes section though guys lots to talk about lots went down of course let's just start off kevin by breaking apart the circus that was the Angels waiver wire edition earlier in the week, of course, they sent a whole bunch of players on waivers, which they timed it perfectly because they all the waivers cl- cleared on Thursday, the day before players would have to be on a new roster to be eligible for the playoffs. So 
I'm sure they did that by design because then it would be more likely playoff teams would actually put claims in for them because a lot of these guys, of course, weren't going to get claimed by the bottom half of the MLB because they're just not going to spend money on these guys that not going to bring them into the playoffs. Let's start off with the Guardians claiming Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. I believe also Matt Moore went over to their bullpen as well. All of those guys being waived by the Angels. Along with that, they get Cal Quantrill back from the IL as well. So can... Let's start with Giolito specifically. I know he's not really a fab target per se, but I'm curious to know your thoughts, especially going into 2024. Can Cleveland, can the Cleveland pitching factory, as it's become known as, can it rub off on Giolito in his final month of the season so that one, Giolito is making a big impact this year's playoff run for teams that still roster him and can get him a payday yeah, as he becomes a free agent going into 2024? I think yes. I Giolito is such a, a interesting, intriguing case to look at. So many things look okay when you look at his profile and the results just aren't there. Sometimes I really think I should have went back and actually looked all of this up. But it really seems to me like several of his blowups were the day games that we know Lucas Giolito doesn't like to pitch in and has always performed poorly in day games. And it, it seems like to me, just going from memory, that has been the case in several of his bad outings this season. That's number one. Cleveland probably won't throw him out there in a day game, I would hope. That would be the where I would start. But I think there's something to this. We know in as far as development of young guys go, Cleveland has done very well with pitching in recent seasons. I, I'm intrigued. I think Giolito can be beneficial to them down the stretch is he going to help them make up the five games or so that they are back when they acquired him back of minnesota that's yet to be seen but it's worth a shot i i think this surprised a lot of people not fans i'm talking about teams i think the other teams that had close felt they had uh fairly high priority mm-hmm. for some of these players are probably pretty shocked that Cleveland snatched up three of them and no one else had a chance. This is something that will be looked at in the off season. I am certain pretty sure that it, uh, you'll go to the bottom of the list after you acquire one player going forward. That's how all our fantasy leagues work, right? All our fantasy (laughs) leagues, the other sports do it that way. They just never saw this as something that would be done, but it's a massive scale. Yeah. Pretty smart. What the angels did. If a guy's a free agent, and you can save $7 million. Potentially, it was $8 million, but nobody claimed well, also uh, not to Richick, But uh, why not do it? So they're going to have to do something about one team being able to grab all these guys with the only deterrent being having room on your 40-man roster. And all these guys were acquired via trade, right? Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez. Most of these guys were acquired halfway through the season. So th- they couldn't even provide them with a qualifying offer if they wanted to. Of course, you, my, my instinct is like, why would you do this? You could give them a qualifying offer and then hopefully they say no and then you get the compensating draft pick out of it. But that's not an option. So yes, this makes a whole lot of sense, especially if they're trying to save money. All that, we <laughs> whole different podcasts we could get into yeah. the, in that realm. But yeah. Kevin, the other side of the coin here is that with all these reinforcements between Cal Quantrill coming back and Giolito in the rotation now, who is scheduled to start the first game 
against the Twins in the Twins series that they have coming up, which of course is the team that they are five games back from. So it's, I guess it's interesting to see that they have that much trust in him already to throw him in there to into what is a very important game for them to justify all these pickups to get them back into the playoff picture. Are we worried about the young guys that they've been leaning on pretty much all season between Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams, who's also scheduled to pitch in that series as well. So he's he seems to be okay after his small injury scare from his last start. We worried about their innings either being cut short per game or skipped or or maybe go into a six-man rotation and stretched out a little bit further. Is that crossing your mind when you are considering these guys? Not for the next couple of weeks and at least through the Minnesota Twins series to open this week. And then they'll probably reevaluate where they are. Gavin Williams, for example, is at 125. Yeah, 125 innings this year. He threw 115 last year. So he can probably go, what, another 25 or 30? Sure. They're going to roll him out there while they still believe they're in it, at least through these, hopefully for them, next couple of weeks, but definitely through that Minnesota series and, and see where they stand after that head-to-head matchup. Of course, they have a series with Tampa this weekend prior to that Minnesota series. So it's, I am certain they're going to reevaluate that entire situation with Williams and Bybee and the other guys after the Minnesota series. All right, fair enough. Other than the Angels, the Yankees got in on the action as well, waving, but sending Harrison Bader on waivers and him along with Hunter Renfro, also, of course, waved by the Angels. They got swapped up by the other Ohio-based team, the Cincinnati Reds, Sam. What kind of playing time expectations are you expecting out of Hunter Renfro and Bader and the remaining outfield in Cincinnati, which by all stretch of the imagination is already plentiful. I went on roster resources because my, the thin slice that I had when I was thinking about this is that both of these players are going to be going into a crowded situation. Cincinnati has called up a lot of really fun names mm-hmm. this year. And before we recorded today, they were six and a half back of Milwaukee and two back of San Francisco in the wild card. And so this move for them, I think, is a lot more meaningful than the Cleveland move potentially. Because when I was going over their roster, I was thinking Fraley's coming back. Fraley's going to be leading off for him against right-handers, might get some action against left-handers, who knows, but he's probably going to get a lot of that outfield time. But they've got TJ Friedel, who struggled here in the second half. They've got Nick Martini. They've got Will Brenson, who's hitting eighth for him and is still interesting, but isn't lighting the world on fire, and Stuart Fairchild. And so there's not a lot of names in front of Renfro and Bader to, it wouldn't surprise me if both of them played into regular playing time, especially if Cincinnati needed to lean on them going forward. We all know Bader plays good defense and Renfro is streaky. And so 
I thought it was a really interesting move for Cincinnati. And I think that there would be reason to take a flyer on both of them. I, with everybody that they have, I don't know if Matt McLean can go into the outfield or if Spencer Steer can go into the outfield and Harnish Strand is not going into the outfield. He's going to DH or play first base. It looks like going forward. I, I don't know how many outfield options they have. And so I thought it was pretty interesting for them. Yeah, I would expect. Uh, of course, I think what stands out to most people, at least on the surface, is they see any power hitting outfielder or any power hitting back going into Cincinnati, the best ballpark there is for power in general. So when you see Renfro going in there, you're like, I just hope yep. he gets full-time playing time. <laughs> yep. I don't care where he plays or Peter. what position or what part of the lineup. Right. Just every day. Just let that, him play every day. Yeah, that opportunity, <laughs> especially for Bader. We can, we've seen that Bader can get hot and streaky. And if Bader catches lightning in a bottle this month also, you never know what could happen in that park. And so I think that they're both interesting. I, I don't think it's a guarantee for either one of them, but I don't see names keeping them out of playing time except for Fraley and if Friedel was still playing the way he was in April and May, maybe, but I don't think that's, he seems to be struggling. So fair. Something to keep an eye out through the weekend as we of course have to make our decisions on Sunday night. Yep. These trades though, I think are super interesting. Both LA and New York are playing a lot of kids that when we talk about players that have been brought up, both of those rosters have 40 man teams have a lot of players that have been called up this year. And so I found it really interesting that those were the teams that fed into a small market team. And we now have the Yankees of all organizations <laughs> and the angels with an owner who will spend money on anything playing the kids. So I just, I find it highly amusing and fun to watch that happen because that side of this trade I think is really where the stories are at yeah that's a that's an interesting observation you're absolutely right I saw the picture of the all the Yankees guys in their new jerseys and there it was even as a Red Sox fan it was still a fun sight to see these young guys that we've been talking about for so long especially right. with the Yankees because if you play for the Yankees you get talked about regardless so everybody and on the opposite side of the coin the Angels minor league system hasn't always been the one that <laughs> not at all not at all boss so it is good on them on the players that are there getting the opportunity that they honestly might not have gotten in almost any other organization totally. looking forward in that respect looking forward to seeing what the angels do in september but besides <laughs> that i don't know part of me is if i'm shohei otani i'm just like i'm done yeah oh, yeah oh, absolutely <laughs> i'm shutting it down, shutting yeah, yeah. It down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Angels and how they're going to handle all of this, Kevin, besides, you mentioned it a little while ago, Randall Grichik not getting claimed off waivers. Poor guy. Of course, I should. it's worth mentioning Mike Clevenger also put on waivers by the White Sox, did not get claimed either. Not talking about that. He's rostered already, whatever. But with the Angels, they get rid of anybody that wasn't nailed down through this waiver, prior, waiver situation. Who's... Who's play, who's getting playing time there now? Who's actually going to play the field and hold the bat on their shoulders at the plate for the Angels besides Otani pretty much doing everything? I, I think the lineup's still pretty well set. It's a little difficult taking a look at the last couple of days since all of this went down as they faced two left-handed starters the past two games. But things still look fairly... 
typical to what they had been doing. They did call up the prospect of their own, Kyron Paris, playing shortstop. I think there wasn't a corresponding move here, but I would guess that Paris is going to start at least versus lefties. And that probably means the end of playing time for Andrew Velasquez. For all of those out there rostering Andrew Velasquez in your 10-team leagues, I know that doesn't exist. <laughs> but in deeper leagues, there there might be something here. Kyron Paris, the close to 50 stolen bases on the season so far in the minor leagues, hitting in that nine hole. If he gets on base, he's going to run. So versus lefties, that will be something to take a look at. But other than that, their lineup looks pretty similar over the last few days in spite of a couple of guys being gone. They've just shuffled around. Moniac ended up being okay and back in the lineup on Friday. So that helps. It really solidifies the playing time, I believe, for Rengifo. He'd been playing every day anyway, but this, I think, makes it a no-doubter. In in leagues where you're counting on him and, and hitting anywhere from the one and two spot to versus lefties to the middle of the order versus righties. That's somebody to take a look at if you're interested, but for the most part, there's not a lot of change here, which seems weird for everything that just happened. But other than Paris being in, in the lineup at shortstop and at least will continue to be versus lefties i don't see a big change here yeah i'll like i'll just repeat it i'll be interested to see how the angels handle this whole thing and whether or not they will from what it sounds like too it's there's no guarantee that they are going to give a whole bunch of new guys a bunch of playing time and just allow the guys who are still left over at the major league level to just ride it out for the rest of the season keep an eye on that situation as we move forward so that's pretty much sums up the impact of the waiver situation that we saw this past week. Now we get into some fun stuff here with some rosters expanding, right? And rosters expanding back in the day, obviously used to mean like a good 10 or 15 new players coming on for every roster. And then everybody's playing time gets cut or players don't go on the IL or whatever. Really frustrating. Now it's different. One pitcher, one hitter at, at most, unless of course for injuries or all that other stuff is still in play. So we got a whole bunch of call-ups on September 1st or right before. Let's start, Sam, with the Cubs. They promoted outfield prospect Alexander Canario. What kind of expectations do you have for Canario with the Cubs as far as can we expect regular playing time? Is this a situation where they just want to take a they want to get a look at him heading into 2024? Or are, we, are they seeing him as an intricate piece to hold on to their playoff hopes going into this season? When you look at their roster right now, they've got Talkman playing center field and Happ and Suzuki in the corners. And I really don't think that, and we'll talk about Alex on Alexander in a second, I don't think that he's going to supplant any of them. And they've got Heimer Candelario at DH. And some of the things that, that kid brings, he brings some defense, but he's got a lot of power. He's got some speed. He's only stolen a couple bases this year, but he's still rated at, I believe, a 50-grade speed. And he's got that fun power speed that we like to dream on. Sure. Uh, but I don't think he's got a hit tool that's going to hit his way into a team that is in the wild card and has resurrected Cody Bellinger and has some other fun pieces around. I just I don't see him 
breaking into that lineup without an injury, I think they are looking at him for 2024 and to give him experience and to have him on the bench this season to get some of that experience that will play into 2024. I'm more interested to see if they're going to call up Ben Brown, if I can go off topic for a second about the Cubs. He's the starting pitcher that I think they could really use. He's got some really interesting makeup for a Cubs pitcher because he's a fastball pitcher. He's got some really good stuff. And it seems like the Cubs generally have more, they've mastered the last few years, this ability to have more of a finesse pitcher or somebody who's hitting the contact. And really, it seems like they have different things that their front office is looking for and identifying as pathways to success for major league pitchers that I haven't seen in other organizations. I think Ben Brown is a really traditional pitching prospect, and I'm really excited to see what it's like for him to be in front of that Cubs team playing. So I'm not as excited about Canaria. I'm not going to bet on him. So I think a lot of people were hoping or expecting to see Pete Crow Armstrong up as either in his place, Canaria's place, or in addition to. Now that'd be fun. Point. Yeah. <laughs> we're at that point. Obviously, we're beyond the point where we're worried about losing rookie eligibility here. So mm-hmm. this is just about getting a look. As far as Ben Brown goes, I think we talked about him last week, Kevin. He's he's an interesting guy because he doesn't have the innings yet this year. He's had some injuries that that he's fought through. So the Cubs and pretty much any organization would want to make sure he's able to get stretched out as much as possible. Kevin, as you pointed out, minor league season is going to end soon. They're going to need a place for him to pitch. And I think I said it last week, I would expect him to be at Arizona fall league. If even if he does get a taste of what Wrigley's like, at the end of September or halfway through September, I still wouldn't be surprised to not, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to Arizona Fall League as well, just to get, even if it's just like two or three starts there, just to continue to see him getting stretched out. And he hasn't even hit his innings total that he saw last year. He's right. Last year, he pitched, it looks like 85 innings. Oh, no, I'm counting that wrong. Just over 100 innings last year, and he's he's well below that at just about 85 innings going into today. Well, I would expect that they would want to rack up as many innings as possible uh, through the last month, month and a half. As, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, when we talked about him last week or a couple of weeks ago, if, if not for his most recent oblique injury, he would be in the Cubs starting rotation right now, I believe, trying to get them to the postseason. Now, he's not going to be postseason eligible, but he can still help them get there, even if it's in long relief roles. And then I do expect to see him in Arizona. Right. Absolutely. When Sam and I are there drinking whistle pig, we'll see <laughs> yes, sir. around pitching. Yes, sir. All right. Enough talk about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, we got another call up from the Mets who, what else are they going to do? They call. They finally call up Ronnie Mauricio and recalling Brett Beatty pretty much at the same time. They're both in the lineup on Friday, Mauricio making his MLB debut at second base for the Mets, batting ninth. Beatty right behind him in the eight hole playing third base, of course. Are we expecting any kind of playing time difference with Brett Beatty than we saw him before he got sent back down? And is Mauricio an everyday guy for them as well? Or is it more of a same situation that Sam was talking about with Canario over with the Cubs? I think with Beatty, we're probably looking at a platoon with Vientos and the Mets have a five game week, three of them versus left-handed starters. So that does not bode well for Brett Beatty in the near term. 
and makes me not interested at all this coming week. Mauricio, I think he's going to be in the nine hole, but I think they're going to see what they got. I think he's a switch hitter and they're going to let him roll and see what he can do there. And so there, there is a little bit of interest there, but just due to the schedule coming up this first week, first full week that they're going to be available. Yeah. I, I think Beatty's playing time will be limited. So I, and like we talked last week, I'm not really interested in stashing this time of year. There will only be three weeks left in the season the following week. And so if he's still available and the schedule looks better then maybe, but right now, Mauricio, I like the playing time outlook quite a bit better. I think they're probably going to give him run on a everyday or near everyday basis and see what they got there. And his first at bat today, top of the third inning, I think it was against the Mariners. He hit 117.2 mile an hour single or double. I think it was a double in his first hit. So that, that seems kit, good. Is that yeah, good? That's, I've heard that number's okay. It's a little beyond. <laughs> yeah. He's got pop. It is as advertised. I'm real excited to see him. The Mets have some work to do because all the rumors and all the talk when you know they traded off everybody at the deadline is that the Mets were going to tank in order to save their draft picks, in order to save their they're trading everybody off to try to get under luxury con- concerns and stuff like that. They're still not at the bottom of the National League. So I think they've got some work to do if they want to save that draft pick come the end of the season. So we'll, uh, we'll see how they handle the rest of their roster and the lineups throughout the course of September. Let's stay in New York, Sam. Of course, not to be outdone. Actually, I think this move was announced before Mar- Mauricio was, but... The Yankees call up Jason Dominguez and catcher Austin Wells up to the Bronx. Let's start with Wells first, though. Do you see him stepping right into the bulk of time behind the plate specifically? And is he the type of catcher that can actually impact that (laughs) troubling rotation and pitching staff in general? Not to mention what Wells could possibly do with the bat. So asking me what the Yankees are doing about anything is exercise and insanity. And so I refuse on that basis to answer the first part of the question. However, Austin, okay, thank you. No, but Austin Wells is super interesting because he's not an offensive catcher necessarily. He's got some pop and some speed for a catcher, but He doesn't necessarily have a great hit tool, but he's left-handed and he does have some pull tendencies and playing in that Yankee stadium. Again, it's a month. They made, who was that one or Gary Sanchez look like an all-star, a hall of famer for a year. So I think that there's some real merit to that because again, we had talked about earlier, the Yankees having this really interesting run of young kids that are playing for them and on their active roster, We're also going to talk about Jason Dominguez. They've got Everson Pereira. They've got Oswald Peraza. They've got Oswaldo Cabrera, Johnny Brito, Randy Vazquez, Luis Heal, like Anthony Volpe started off the season as their shortstop. This is, I see him getting run. I think the Yankees are literally trying to play the youngest player they can find that they feel is major league worthy because I know that they know they're not going to the playoffs. So I think they are, of all the things that they've done crazy, I think they're going to let the kids play. Same with Jason Dominguez. He hit a home run tonight. Like he's, he, he, people compare him to Trout. And I think that's ridiculous. Like anybody that wants to start comparing somebody to a generational talent, 
this young is putting too lofty of expectations on that kid, but he does that of that it factor because in spite of those expectations, he hasn't been crushed by being in the New York system and having that kind of attention. And he's already in the majors at 20. And so I'm, I don't like the Yankees. I apologize to any Yankees fan. I'm a Mariners fan. Like we're allowed to not get along. It's, I have a ton of respect for that organization. And when, I'm person enough to admit that they're doing some fun things since they didn't make the playoffs. And I think Austin Wells is absolutely worth rostering. And I think Jason Dominguez is is absolutely worth rostering. Both of those kids are going to get some playing time and they could be real difference makers on a roster because catching you, you either have one of the catchers that's going to keep you up in the standings or you don't. And so getting a difference maker there, especially in, two catcher leagues you can't understate that value because there is still time even though it's a locomotion of a season and I think Jason Dominguez we could watch something fun because he's got that it he's got that mental piece where he just seems to be having fun and that is as an observer trying to figure out the little bit I know about watching players that always seems to correlate to he's not stressed about it and to see somebody in the New York Yankees come having up- fun Having fun, that is, <laughs> that's saying something. Um, and showing that you're having fun as well, right. not just being like, I'm having fun. It's like, <laughs> you can see it on his face. You can see him in interviews. Yeah, yeah, he seems to be really embracing that. And you got to start in that organization, especially once you get up to New York, you're going to you're gonna be dealing with it, regardless of whether or not they're right. in the playoffs. The media, it's a real the fans, it's a real yeah, thing. It's a real thing for sure. But like you mentioned, hit his first home run. Both him and Wells currently, we're recording this on Friday night, so the Astros-Yankees game's only in the bottom of the sixth inning, but they're both one Go for Yankees. three. They're both or, one for three. Oh, Yankees. Yan- Yankees are up by four, thanks to four home runs. <laughs> man let the kids play and of course as i'm looking at this i gotta mention kevin thanks to your sal perez for hitting his second home run of the day today so that that was nice for me even (laughs) if it was against the red sox yeah yeah yeah. on on, on this show yeah that on when we're talking fantasy that doesn't matter but uh, the and speaking of playing time the yankees face three left-handed starters this week so i think austin wells gets at least half of the starts they play six games and i think he'll get those three starts at a minimum with higashioka getting at least a couple of the starts against righties and maybe the third but a good matchup schedule for austin wells as he arrives he's probably going to get that playing time that sam was talking about all right we have we still have quite a bit of little news and notes to get through we are going to take a quick break before we continue we'll be right back When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow, and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. 
Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, Kevin, let's go to Pittsburgh where they made the biggest move of all. They are calling up none other than Miguel Andujar. I think you've heard of him, especially since we just talked about the Yankees. Uh, anyway, where does he play for Pittsburgh? And can he actually make an impact for anyone? No. Okay, cool. But especially this week, they face all righties. We're only going to see him as a pinch hitter and maybe one token start this week. I, other than that, I don't see the playing time here. 2019 that, league That's winner. simple. <laughs> exactly. It's sad to talk hold about on him to that it. way. It really you is. hold on to some of those things. <laughs> yeah, I just, I saw the name pop up, the ticker, and I'm just like, I got to bring it up. I'm just like, there was a talk. Oh, I was intrigued. Absolutely. The, and then I saw their pitching matchups for the next week, and I'm like, and I don't understand why they did this. They're not even going to play him. Yeah. Yeah. It got to a point in the off season where it seemed like the pirates were just collecting first baseman and hand and fit into that mold at the time. So at this point when he's calling up, I'm just, yeah, if he's a pinch hitter or whatever, that, that answers the question. But ultimately I'm like, where does he go? It makes more sense if Pittsburgh was a playoff team and he had to be on the roster in time to be eligible for the postseason. But it, the timing of this doesn't make any sense That's at all sure. to me. The only thing I can think is that they're this is their last opportunity to evaluate him before they cut bait. Like they might be yeah. like, "Here's September, nothing counts. Have fun." <laughs> yeah. That's to your point. I there's no other reason for them to yeah. be doing this. It's it, it, other than just to have fun, to play with their roster, to make a move. All right, let's go to my Red Sox then, Sam. We're gonna go yes. with their call up, which is really exciting for those of us who follow the Red Sox and actually care about what they're doing whether you believe in what they're doing or not is a different question not what i'm going not what i'm going with but they do finally call up sedan rafaela up to boston from worcester really long drive i'm hoping he he made that drive okay for those who aren't aware no it's like a 20 minute drive it's fine and then they also got back well you're abreu he returned from the paternity list so he had already been up but now they are both up i think a lot of people expected didn't really expect these two guys to be up at the same time. But of course, with Jaron Duran missing the rest of the season after having surgery to fix his recent turf toe diagnosis, they need the extra bats in there. What uh, what are you expecting out of Rafaela and Abreu, both of these guys, through the month of September with the Red Sox, whether or not they are winning or losing the game today, Kevin, against the Royals, they are still in the thick of it, trying to fight for that one of yes. those wildcard spots in the American League. 
No, they're definitely in it. And I think that this is a tale of two prospects. We have a prospect that's been in the minors for six years in Willier. He's late bloomer. He's got some pop and some speed. And really, he's got a great eye at the plate. He's got a tremendous walk rate. And while he doesn't necessarily have a high batting average, he's got a high on base. And so he's interesting as a hitter. And then we've got Sadon, who... Coming into the season, he was there was some questions about him, whether or not he was a real, you were seeing some shine from him, or whether or not he was fool's gold. This year in 88 game, 87 games in the minors, he hit slash lines at 305, 351, and 508 with 14 home runs and 33 stolen bases in double A AA and triple A combined. And so he really, I think, proved that he is ready to find out what he's got at the major league level. And so I think both of these prospects are really interesting. And the thing that's keeping them from regular playing time is actually Trevor Story and Urias, Luis Urias. Both of those players, I believe, on the Red Sox are the two players that are not hitting their weight. They're both struggling at the plate and really, I, you tell me because you're a Red Sox fan, so you're going to know this more intimately than me, but it feels like they have other players, especially in the outfield that are, are playing really well. And so I would think that this might be not for dynasty purposes for the game. I think story is going to be their the starter for them next year and, I've always kind of liked Luis Urias, even though he's really had a hard time this year putting it together and staying consistent. But I think that those two players are their pathways to playing time, either by having other players replace them in the starting lineup and having them move into the outfield or the DH spot. Yeah, it was uh, it was nice to see Rafael start at shortstop and in the leadoff spot on Wednesday. Granted, that was against a lefty starter. Oh, they, and They put him in the, they started him at shortstop. He we, wasn't we, in the outfield. We, yeah, that was on Wednesday. He has, he's not, they didn't have a game on Thursday and he wasn't in the starting lineup for them today, which whatever. <laughs> After seeing the scoreboard. <laughs> they, I don't think it would have made a difference as they're right. currently down 13 to nothing. He did get into the game as a pinch hitter. He's actually, I think he's up right now as I'm looking at MLB app. So he did get into the game pitch inning for Duvall in center field. So we'll see if he actually gets put into the outfield when they switch over. But there's a, I read the rumors that we would, we should be expecting to see plenty of Sadon throughout the, throughout September and Abreu as well. Now does plenty of mean every day playing time? I'm not convinced of that. But we are at a point, and we talked about this in the Pitcherless Discord earlier today, there's absolutely no chance any of these call-ups are going to hit rookie status. There's absolutely no chance any of these guys in 28 games are going to hit, are going to have, they would have to get five at-bats, so five plate appearances in a game without getting a walk, without getting a sacrifice, without getting anything that doesn't accrue. It would be really difficult. (laughs) I would be very impressed. I right. would be very impressed. Where all these guys we just talked about, none of them are going to lose rookie eligibility. So You'd that have to take so- Acuna's spot in the Braves lineup to even have a chance. It, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. The lineup would have to right. turn over. So, yeah, yeah. We're, that's we've already proven the point here. But that being said, there's no reason at this point not to find a way to get at least Rafaela in the lineup as much as possible. I Whether agree. it's at and- shortstop, 
or even at second base or in the outfield, wherever you can get his bat. He looks, he's also like we talked about with Dominguez in New York. He just seems very happy to be where he's at and what he's been able to do, obviously in Worcester this year is nothing short of very, very good. (laughs) And so I I would, I won't be surprised to see Rafaela in the lineup more often than not. Now that hasn't been the case yet. Well, knowing that he can play infield and having them willing to put him at shortstop means that he can play second base. He might not be able to play third, but that gives him a couple other positions of eligibility. And I was going to say, one of the things that we didn't bring up with them is that Emmanuel Valdez, I believe got called up also today. And that adds a little bit more of a log jam, I think for a player like Willier, because I like Emmanuel. And I think if he gets... Uh, some runway to actually make some mistakes and learn from them. I think he could be an everyday major leaguer, not an all-star necessarily, but I like him as an accumulator, but yeah, Sadon needs to be on the field for them. If they're going to make a run, because he's got it. He's good at his job. Yeah. And, it uh, looks like he enjoys it too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Kevin, we got a couple of other actual signings happen this week. All minor league, at least the ones that I'm going to talk about here and ask your take on it. But we got three minor league contracts doled out this week after all these three players got cut by their teams in some way or another at different points in the season. First, Josh Donaldson, he got released by the Yankees, not waived like Harrison Bader did. Donaldson's just like, nope, <laughs> you're gone. Get out. We're done. He got released. He got signed a minor league deal with the Brewers. He reported the Triple A. The Tampa Bay Rays, they signed Billy Hamilton to a minor league deal after he was released by the White Sox last week. Though Hamilton hadn't played in a game for, he was in the minors for the White Sox as well, but he hadn't played in a game since prior to the All-Star break. So he's got to do some stretching out, obviously, in the minors for Tampa Bay before they consider bringing him up. And then Jurston Profar returns to the Padres on his minor league deal with them after being released by the Rockies earlier this week. So of these three, I'm pretty sure there's a low-hanging fruit here, but I'm going to make you talk about it anyway. Of these three, who has the best shot of being, at the very least, a one-week wonder pickup down the stretch in September? I don't think we'll see any of them unless there's an injury. And that's what they're. That's why they. That's why they were picked up. Th- these are all depth moves because you don't have to be on the twenty-eight man roster today if you are brought up to replace someone that goes on the IL. Then you can still qualify for the postseason. And so these are all depth moves. And but I don't think we see Josh Donaldson. I think it would take multiple injuries before we see him. Billy Hamilton is interesting. You do see oftentimes teams pick up a speed guy that is a good defender late in the season to be a late inning replacement and pinch runner in situations. And that's what Billy Hamilton is these days. But Jerks and Profar, if if the Padres do make a run at the postseason, which is a bit of a long shot right now, and if somebody goes down in that outfield, I could see him coming in and getting uh, an everyday role but uh, he's the only one that i really even see that possibility yeah and combined with the fact that he uh, profar has the history with the padres he was leading off for them for a long time last season especially in the second half so it is somebody that they are more familiar with in the organization and most of those players are still there so the lineup would at least uh, m- maybe embrace that that situation 
if like you said, the opportunity were to present itself. So just keep an eye on that situation. Profar could put himself in the conversation for fab bidding at some point in the last four weeks of the season. And see, I'm going to throw this on the last second just because I just saw it come through. I can't find any updates on it yet. But Jose Altuve, he left Friday's game with an apparent leg injury against the Yankees. Everything holy. <laughs> I know you're not up. Pers- I know we're never happy about seeing injuries, but as a Mariners fan, to see somebody like Jose Altuve maybe miss some time and give the Mariners even more of a shot of holding on to their lead in the AL West. Are- I won't even ask your opinion on that because I feel like that was just bad karma. <laughs> but I actually am really bummed out. I like the Houston Astros. I'm an awkward <laughs> Mariner fan. Jordan Alvarez is the greatest human being and swinging a bat violently. So I'm actually bummed for them. So who who's the obvious fit to fill in at second base if Altuve were to miss some time? Who is the obvious fit to fit in for them at second base? I'm going to have to look and see what they say about it. And then I'll tell you who I think that they should start. So second base, I think that they're going to have to use Dubon. He was playing there a lot at the beginning of the season when he was out. And I really like his bat. I don't think that he's not Jose Altuve, but I think he's going to slide in and do just fine there. Yeah, that's probably the that's uh, first thing I did was go look at Dubon's availability. He is right. only 60% rostered in the 15 team main events and 46% rostered in 12 team online championships. And he will be picked up everywhere if there's anything to this Altuve injury. Yeah. And I honestly, I, I honestly, and this isn't for karma or double jinxing or any of those things, I genuinely hope. Jose Altuve as well, because I want the Mariners to beat the best version of the Houston Astros. So go. nobody can say Gotta a beat thing. the best. It's like, as a Red Sox fan, we always said the same thing. It's like, we, we want to beat the Yankees yep. to get to the world series. Yep. If yes. we didn't have to beat the Yankees, there would have been a little, it would have been tainted. So obviously 2004 was extra special for that reason. Looking back at the last time Altuve hit the IL for two or three weeks, Dubon was, he literally just, placed and he got placed into his spot not only at second base but also in the leadoff spot right for yes. the Astros. that's yes. the key right there that's no, what and we're after exactly and he's not again he's not jose altuve but he'll be 85 percent of them so if you can get the leadoff hitter for the houston astros you, not a bad player to roster you look at it yeah regardless of their name all right that sums up the rest of the news that we've got to talk about we're gonna We're going to fly into our focus topic for today, and that is talking about these prospects that a lot of them we touched on already. Maybe we'll touch on them again that get these September call-ups that can make a name for themselves and others that Sam thinks that will make a name for themselves in the offseason and into spring training, maybe making opening day rosters. We will get to all that after this break. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. 
Pick the two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PitcherList, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. All right, we're back. Of course, you're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe joined this week again by Kevin Hasting and with our special guest, Sam Worshing, who's going to talk to us pleasantly about a lot of these. Sam, we want to talk about prospects. (laughs) We talked a lot about them in their news section. Let's talk a little bit more before we get into our bidding section here. I'm going to get your take on first, first half is who's going to actually make an impact in September that we just saw. So I'm going to I'm going to rule out the guys that have already gotten called up whether they are got called up in July or early August. I'm talking about just the guys that either got called up at the very end of August or because of the September 1st expansion. Okay, and I thought a lot about this and there were several players that we've already talked about, so I'm just going to highly highlight just a few things about these players, but these are the names that I think have pathways to real playing time and real opportunity and If you need to find people at these positions, I'd go after them. The first one is, for me, Hunch. He's been phenomenal in the minors, and that's Colton Kowser, who just got called up by Baltimore. They've had some roster problems with Ramon Urias as far as he's not necessarily performing at the level that the rest of the roster is performing. Don't say that in front of Kevin. I'm sorry. Did I say the wrong thing, Kevin? I apologize. I think Baltimore is beautiful, and I think that guy no, is it's... a dog and plays hard. But he is not performing the way I think Colton Kowser could perform in that lineup at bat. And so I think that they've got some flexibility to find a pathway to him. And again, I think that in that lineup, in that what they've got going on, he could catch some fire. Another player is one of the players that we t- we didn't talk about, but the organizations I highlighted a little bit earlier, and that's the a- Anaheim Angels. Trey Cabbage has got some pop and some speed, and I think over a season could be a 2020 player. And so it, it could be interesting to see what he does this last month because I think that he's going to get some run. He could get you four and four or five and five. I don't think that offense is going to give him a chance to accumulate, but I think he's going to get play. He could be a lot of fun. We talked about Ronnie Maurizio. He hit that ball tonight 117 miles an hour in his first at bat. And he's playing for a Mets team that went from being a real laughing stock. Again, apologies to Mets fans. They really were making some really awkward moves and having terrible results after the first part of the season. And to see their sell-off work this way and to have that player come up, I think he could see his way into a lot of playing time and have a lot of fun and establish himself potentially. I see them making sure he does not get loses rookie eligibility because I think he's one of those players that they're going to go for next year to get a draft pick. I really think that they want to give him some run. Austin Wells and Jason Dominguez of the Yankees, we already talked about them. I think you need to go out and get them. I think they're going to get run. I actually think Wells 
is going to play a lot more catcher than we think, unless there is some specific, if Garrett Cole wants a specific catcher and I don't know their catching situation well enough to say, oh yeah, he always wants this catcher to catch for him. And if that's not the case with any of the pitchers, I think he might catch 70% of the games between here and the end of the season. Also with the Angels, there's Nolan Chanel. He is was a draft pick this year, and he's been called up, and he's a first baseman. And I forget the gentleman who posted his spray chart, or the person, I apologize, I don't know the gender. There was a person that posted on Twitter today that I saw where it was the spray chart of his hits. And it's all, it just, it's this beautiful arc across the baseball diamond. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he hits the ball hard. And I think that the angels again are going to let the kids run. And so I think he could be a lot of fun on a roster. The Atlanta Braves called up Darius Fines, who's got some phenomenal secondary pitches. He doesn't have an elite fastball, but he's pitching in front of a lineup that's going to score runs and play good defense. And he won his first, start after he got called up. I think that he's really interesting again, the the second half, this last five weeks that we have a baseball. And then Corey Lee with the Chicago White Sox traded to them in the Jose Abreu deal is finally up and he doesn't hit very well, but he's got enough of a hit tool that I think his pop and his speed could show off. And he's a really good catcher. He's actually really good behind the plate. So I think they're also going to give him some run. I'm really interested in those prospects that have been called up. I think that out of all the ones that we've talked about, those are the ones that I'd be targeting for fab looking to put into a roster for a difference maker. And before we get into the second half of that question, I really want to know when Toronto is going to let Ricky Tiedemann run in the majors. Mm. He's just delicious to watch as a pitcher and I think that they could really use him. So I'm curious about him. We already talked about Ben Brown. If he's even doing an opener and just opening for three or four innings and getting that experience and doing things, I'd really like to see that. And then Arizona has this kid, Jordan Lawler, who has just had a phenomenal couple of of months. Yeah. And he's having a great time in the 13 games he's had in AAA. Do they make a move and have him come up? So those are three names that we didn't talk about that I have some real interest in. And I know you say you don't stash, Kevin, and that's probably why you do a lot better in redraft than I do. But those are three names that oh, I stash it's for. just getting to that point where there's not much time <laughs> but Lawler's my guy we've mine. talked about him the last two weeks Lawler okay. I'm still hoping I still have him stashed yeah okay right on right on yeah it'd be fun I, I think I keep saying fun for somebody that could explode I just I think it could be a lot of fun to watch him play and read his box scores Kevin a lot of these guys that got the same rattled off aren't stashes anymore either these are guys that are already called up It's just a matter of knowing how much playing time their teams are going to give them throughout the whole month of September. So with that being said, like you don't have a, I'm assuming you don't have a lot of fab left at this point in most of your leagues. Do you, do you go all out on any of these types of guys and just saving, saving a dollar per a dollar or two per week for the rest of the season? Or are you just waterfalling all these guys and hoping you get one of them? I want a little more than a dollar or two per week, more like five to 10 per week. Multiple injuries can happen. And sometimes there's, there, there's a guy that, that you want to go $2 on, right? Because you don't always want to be down to a dollar per player at dollar days, right? If you can go $2 per player, you'll get who you want. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where I like to be. But yes, 
if you really believe in one of these guys and you believe in, and it looks as if they are going to get the run on a near daily basis, I think we're to the point where if, especially if it addresses, if their strength mm-hmm. addresses a need for your team, it's time to, yep. to empty the account on the one guy you think can help you make that run. Preach the word. Absolutely. All right. That's a lot of names to consider in your, whether it's in your waterfall bids or just to put all your eggs in one basket. So keep, make sure that those guys are all, they've all made their debuts. So even in NFBC, they will be available. A lot of these guys, a couple of these guys got called up and then sent back down and they just got recalled back up. As Sam mentioned, it's just a question of how much they're going to play throughout the course of September. So use your best judgment on that. Let's look beyond Sam. A lot of these guys that we think like Lawler, perfect example, may not get the call, as you mentioned. Like he may just stay in AAA the rest of the way. And they're like, okay, that's fine. But we've got a whole list of other guys that we've gotten to a point where we don't expect them to get the call, whether it's because of injury or not, no need on their teams, or these are teams that are playoff pushing and they don't, they they don't want to have to put them into that kind of a situation a lot of reasons teams make up or actually or actually have to not calling up their prospects. It doesn't mean these guys are not going to make the opening day roster. Again, we saw this with Jordan Walker in St. Louis. We saw it with Bobby Witt last year in Kansas City and a slew of other guys being surprise call-ups on on the opening day roster whether it's because they had strong Arizona Fall League or spring training or whatever the case may be. So are there any other guys that you don't expect to get the call now, but you will not be surprised to see their names going up draft boards in February and March as their spring training is strong and there's whispers of them making opening rosters. These are guys that you know we probably should be looking at in the 30s and 40 rounds in DCs when we're doing drafts in October or November before this kind of hype happens. There's a few guys that we have, and I'm sure that these are all names that people are pretty familiar with, but I think that we need to keep them on the forefront because they're players that aren't, I don't believe they're going to get called up, like you said, but Curtis Mead, for example, of the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, I don't think they have a defensive spot for him yet. Maybe he's their DH, maybe he ends up at first base, but that guy can hit for average. He can hit for power. He's just explosive at the plate, and I really am excited to see what he can do next year. Cleveland traded off some of their pitching and got Kyle Manzardo in, who seems to be, I believe the last thing I read about him is that he's going through something personally this season, that he's had some hardships and he was a bat I was really in at the beginning of the season on, and I'm really excited to see what he can do in a new place, getting his head clear. Pittsburgh has a pitcher, Paul Skeens, that they drafted that I don't think is going to be in the minors next year. I think he makes their opening day rotation. Next year, I don't think that they have development for him in the minors. And I would be, I honestly, I would, I would. I, I think, would, no, he, I think that says enough about Skeens himself as a player and yes. a person combined with the track history, the history that the Pittsburgh right. Pirates have shown. Okay, but Pittsburgh, in all fairness, Pittsburgh has done, done some things in the last year and a half sure. where I have them Baltimore in the last two and a half years there's some there there's some awkward teams from five or ten years ago where I would absolutely laugh at every prospect or every front office move as far as it came to pitching 
Those two organizations, I think, are getting a little bit more sophisticated. And I think that Skeen starts the year off in the Major League roster. Besides that, Baltimore has a trio of prospects that they called up Colton Kowser, but they still have Colby Mayo. They've got Heston Kierstad. They've got Jackson Holiday, And all three of those are elite prospects. They all bring a lot to the table. And so... You know, I'm real interested to see how Baltimore's team breaks camp next year because the only concern I have about Baltimore is you don't want to have a team so young or so cocky. I do believe that there is something to have a veteran, somebody that understands the grind, somebody that can help those rookies understand and have perspective. And it's not, I love the youth. I love the hunger and the passion. And I also like that old man calm. I think that there's a real balance that they're going to need. So I'm interested to see 2024, how that plays out. But those prospects, they should be coming to a major league park near you. And then my favorite prospect in all of baseball is a Mariner named Jonathan Classe. And a couple of years I was in on him and people would say, he doesn't really have a hit tool. He doesn't have a lot of power, but he's got a lot of speed. That kid's got an athlete's body. He is thick. He's not skinny and fast. He is just, he's grown man strong. And so he has developed a hit tool and he has kept and developed a power tool. He's hit 19 home runs in the minors this year. He's stolen 50 or 60 bases. Like he's really just, he's putting it out there. And I think that there is a chance in spite of the plethora of exciting young talent that is not named Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick in our outfield. If we don't sign Teoscar Hernandez in the next three months to a long-term deal, if he truly becomes a free agent, and we've got an opening there, Jonathan Classe. I think he makes the Mariners roster, and by May or June is starting in their outfield. Nice, nice. Kevin, I love I it mean- because that's what they used to say about Bobby Witt Jr. I love it. <laughs> no hit tool, not quite enough power. Just Let's be- go. Yeah, That's right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Kevin, are these names that you're considering in your October drafts? Yeah. Absolutely. I think that is going to be the fun part about our early drafts, this way too early drafts that that some of us love, me being one of them. Absolutely. I think that what we have seen this past year is we're going to see these guys sooner rather than later. And so when we're talking 50 round draft and hold teams, guys that we used to shy away from now we're probably looking at we can hopefully see them if not by the end of april definitely sometime in june yeah it's just it'll be curious to, i'll be curious to see if they get jumped from the from the jump if i i just said are we looking at 30th and 40th rounds type of picks because they haven't made their debut yada 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 but does the hype revolve around these guys now do they get bumped be prior to round 30 we saw what happened with walker last year i keep bringing him up but he jumped obviously there was a big difference between picking walker up in an october november draft versus after it was pretty clear he was going to make the opening day roster and obviously he jumped up like 100 spots or something crazy so i I really think so because you have players like me that avoided these guys in the past in early 50 round drafts because i would rather draft an old veteran gonna give me some playing time now when players like me decide we're gonna start drafting some of these guys 
then the players that have always liked taking a chance on these guys are going to jump them up sooner. When they so, start noticing, oh. <laughs> so players like me say, maybe I'm going to jump in and take him in the 28th round, right? Because that 28 rounds, 15 team leagues, we're already in the 400s of players. All right, let's take a shot on somebody. And it's just going to snowball, I think, from there. From Right. Because I think there's going to be more fantasy players willing to take these shots. Yeah. All right, that'll be fun. And I'm sure you'll do at least one of those drafts in Arizona. But I'm not sure if you'll get deep enough into that draft. That draft usually ends halfway through. And then you pick it up later on. Yeah, I think we did the starting lineup in our draft and hold draft. Mm. So 23 rounds. So maybe we might start seeing some of these guys picked at the end because it still feels like it's the last round of a draft, right? So you can take those risks, those last picks. You take all about risk and then you're like, "Eh, in four months when we take this back up in January, there'll be more guys that with more definite roles that, that I can fill in with. I can take a risk in the 22nd, 23rd round. So yeah, probably. All right. That'll be fun to watch. All right. That's enough talk about our drafts for the 2024 season, guys. We still have to finish (laughs) off the 2023 season here with some fab bidding. So let's get right into our recommendations here by category as we tend to do. We're going to start off in our power categories. Sam, as the guest, I'm going to give you the honors of starting it off here. Are there guys that you have eyeing for this Sunday? that can get you a home run or two, maybe knock in a few, rack up some RBIs that are, are going to be available in your leagues that you're going to spend some money on. Okay, so the home run me is if I'm in any league, I'm looking to see if Jared Kelnick has been released and is on the waiver wire because he started his rehab assignment in Tacoma. I believe it was yesterday, single in his first at bat. And so I have... I always hate saying this out loud. I have some really high expectations for Jared coming back. I think he's coming back into a really functional offense. And I think given the way that he plays in September and given some of the mental changes that he's made this year that have allowed him to have his talent come through, he could hit eight home runs in September if he calls up and gets run. So I really like him, but Players more likely on your waiver wire are going to be DJ Stewart with the Mets. He just hit a couple home runs last night against the Rangers, and he's available in 27% of leagues. And then Lennon Sosa for Chicago. He's got some pop, and I think that he's only owned in about 5% of leagues so Sosa 9% rostered in the main event and from what I remember seeing with uh, Stewart he was not as rostered as much percent in the yeah that surprised me that he was still under 50% yeah so Stewart yeah definitely a name that I've been seeing and hearing a lot more about obviously with his recent production as well so I would expect his name to be at the top or near the top of many of my leagues fab bidding Kevin, any other, you eyeing any other power bats going into this Sunday? I am. And this is a hitter equivalent of Wade Miley for me. So take this with a grain of salt. But Cole Calhoun, man, he just keeps doing what he's always done. I'll hit 240 and I'll hit some home runs. Now, he may lose a few plate appearances when Josh Naylor comes back, which we're being told possibly sometime this weekend. So as we, as listeners hear this on Sunday, we'll have a better idea of what's going on there. However, 
it appears that Cleveland is looking to get them both in the lineup, one at first base and one at designated hitter. Cole Calhoun just taking Josh Bell's spot. So Cole Calhoun does what he does. He's a 250 hitter, and he'll hit you about a home run a week, and that's what we're looking for right now. Right. I just like that analysis. He just does what he does. (laughs) It's been long enough. Yeah. (laughs) You get to a point where you're like, all right, there's not much more to say here. (laughs) You know what to expect, and you're going to get it. And Cleveland's got a seven-game week. Five of the seven appear to be versus right-handed starters which is great for weekly lineups means he, he should be in there in either the first base or DH spot for the guardians. And especially in NFBC formats, four out of four right-handed hitters Monday through Thursday, or excuse me, right-handed pitchers that they'll be facing Monday through Thursday. So in NFBC formats, definitely get him in there in the first half of the week and then maybe bench him over the weekend when it's only one out of three right-handed starters. Perfect. All right, let's move on to some speed options here. I got to start off with Sam here just because the theme of this section for us over the last three weeks, three, four weeks maybe, has been Seattle base runners. So you guys, as the Mariners fan here, tell me you've got at least one, if not multiple Seattle players that you're targeting to steal you some bases. Yeah, I'm, I was shocked when I saw how rostered in the main event leagues they are. But I've the last couple of weeks, I've been looking to get Canzone or Rojas on my rosters. They seem to let them run. And also Caballero. He has an on-base above 350 and always has the green light to run and seems to get, before Rojas anyway was on the roster, had a lot of run as a starter. All three of them have done really well for getting steals for me. I like all three of them. And then there's one in Texas I really like. Do you guys talk a lot about Jankowski? What do you guys feel about him? He's, I'll echo what Kevin just said, like, he does what he does. He does what he does. <laughs> you, as long as he gets in the game. But Jankowski is actually one of these guys, too, that he'll steal even if he doesn't start the game. Like, he'll go right. in as a pinch runner and get you a stolen base without the 0 for 4 night. So right. it's nice to get the extra stolen base out of a guy like that. I expected that out of the other Rojas, Yon Rojas in, in Philadelphia as well. We saw that there's a lot of guys. Roman Quinn always comes to mind is that type of guy that he gets you three stolen bases in a night without getting in at bat. And so Jankowski's like that as well. He's getting the extra playing time though. So that's not hurting things, but I'm also now, if all I care about is a stolen base, I'm not worried about Jankowski's playing time per like dwindling out over time. So, yeah. If all you're looking for is a stolen base, I'd say Jose Caballero, if you guys haven't mentioned him, seems to be that player for the Mariners. And they, the whole team seems to be running this year. I don't know where they rank as far as being aggressive in the majors in comparison to other teams. But from a fan perspective, it seems like they've been really aggressive on the base and a little bit more so than it seems even with rule changes. Yeah, I will have to personally update my data points on that. And I'll probably tweet something out based on what you just said before this episode (laughs) comes out. Because it is something that I've been tracking pretty readily throughout the course of the season. And yes, Seattle has been an aggressive team in general 
but my data points are about two weeks old at the at this moment. So I don't want. Fair enough. I want to throw no. that out. I appreciate you make, either making me look good or like a fool. Either way, we both. Ah, we'll see. So. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Kevin. There's some other. There are other speed options out there. Who might you be eyeballing if you need the runs or the stolen bases? I got another guy that doesn't have to be in the starting lineup to get him. And also another guy that does what he does. Tim LaCastro for the Mets. Looks like he is getting run in the starting lineup versus left-handed pitching. The Mets only have five games this week, but three of those are against left-handed starters. That's typically enough when we're talking short side platoon guys anyway. We get that, you hit that three mark and we get a little bit interested and he's also a guy that we'll see at the end of games, defensive replacement, bench runner. We all remember the 17 for 17 back in 2019 or whatever it was right around then for Le Castro. And so if it's stolen bases you're looking for, he's probably going to get some opportunities this week. Yeah, I would not be surprised. Yeah, like you said, definitely a guy that doesn't need to be in the lineup to get you what you're looking for. All right, let's look into the last hitting category here, our opportunity section. Looking at the schedule for next week, there are six teams that have a full seven-day work week, including Tampa Bay, Cleveland, the Angels, Seattle, the Cubs, and Arizona. They all play a game a, a day throughout the course of the week. No doubleheaders on the slate for this week. There are only two teams that have the two off days this week. From what I can tell, that's the Washington Nationals and the New York Mets. They are off Monday and Thursday. Everybody else I haven't listed is either off Monday or Thursday. No weird Wednesdays or Fridays or anything like that this week. Looking ahead, just a heads up, Philadelphia and Atlanta do play a doubleheader on next Monday. That's September 11th. And so you can look ahead for that if you're looking for extra at-bats or just realizing that there's going to be extra bullpen usage out of those teams on those days as well. With all that in mind and anything else you want to consider, Kevin, who is going to take advantage of the, either the matchups or the schedule or what they have going on next week that you're looking for? I don't know that he really needed the opportunity. He's had it, but it it's definitely in place this week. The Chicago Cubs have a seven-game week. They are set to face six right-handed starters in those seven games. Michael Talkman leads off versus righties, moves to the bottom of the lineup versus lefties. So we're talking six games leading off for him, and he just keeps rolling. Last time I brought up his name, on the podcast, I apologize to Alex Chamberlain for saying that once Cody Bellinger got healthy, Talkman was done. Now I'm apologizing to Alex Chamberlain for, for bad-mouthing Michael Talkman. <laughs> He's done nothing but perform, especially against righties, and the Cubs face six of them this week. He, surprisingly, he is almost universally rostered in the 15-team main events. Uh, it appears he's available in three or four of those leagues but he's available in over half of 12 team leagues and he has performed much better than a player that should be available in over half of 12 team leagues this season. Yeah. I mean, if we were going to put him into one of the other categories leading off as often as he does, he's obviously going to be more of a target for runs and RBIs. I was just scrolling through his game log over the last two weeks and I don't see a single RBI to his name, right. but he's scoring on average about a run a game in that time frame. 
So the Cubs obviously are on a little bit of a run. They're doing okay for themselves. And if he's at the top of the lineup facing off all against all those righties, as you mentioned, he should be, and he'll be put, he'll put himself in oper- in places on the base pass for the rest of that lineup to knock him in for sure. Sam, anybody else that you think could take advantage of the opportunity that they have presented to themselves this coming week? Again, not to be too much of a homer, but I'm really excited about J.P. Crawford's bat this season, and especially as of late with everybody else that's on fire for the Mariners. He's somebody to that can be overlooked, but he's been leading off for him pretty regularly the last three, four months when he's been healthy, and he seems to be healthy. They have seven games. They are in Cincinnati and in Tampa Bay, and the Mariners seem to be scoring runs in bunches the last month and a half, and those are two fun parks to play in. So I'm looking forward to JP having a week and really accumulating some runs and some hits. For this season, he had never had either 10 home runs or 10 stolen bases total in a season, and tonight he hit his 13th home run. So he's got an outside shot of hitting 16 to 17 home runs this year. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but for the leadoff hitter, for the Mariners in that lineup, I'm expecting good things. Yeah, we've talked. To, I talked about Crawford a couple of weeks ago, and I've, he's, the kind of, he's just that guy that I, like, I picked up probably like a month and a half ago, and he's just, just sitting there on my rosters. He's like not a guy that I was going to rotate through. I was just going to use him, as Paul Spore calls him, a team streamer in the situation where I know the Mariners are going to have a seven game work week or something like that, or the good matchups. But Crawford's been very useful um, in most scenarios for me personally. I like the Crawford call out for sure. Update. Rafaela did go into center field after his pinch hit. I know everybody was clamoring to know that on this (laughs) podcast. So I wanted to throw that out there. And Abreu did got into the game too. And he played left field after pinch hitting as well for Yoshida. So those guys are, Finding, the Red Sox are finding ways for those guys to get into games. All right, let's move on. Going into our pitching categories, Sam, I'll let you start us off here. Wins and Ks, we go to the counting categories first. Who's got some matchups that could net them a win and maybe strike out a bunch of guys that are going to help you move up the standings in those categories? The last week on Twitter has ruined any anonymity of Cole Reagan. So I don't listen. Think if that... you are a pitcher list discord member, the anonymity was month. gone a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But it's been, it's, all it's of been us, so fun. <laughs> all of us ignorant people out in the darkness in the wilderness <laughs> are just discovering his beauty. But if for some reason you can have him, he's got two steps this week at home against the White Sox and at Toronto. And I think he's going to have fun. I think he's going to do really well. Another pitcher that might be on your waiver wires, if somebody had dropped him at the beginning of the season or haven't picked him up, is Brandon Fott of Arizona. Colorado comes to Arizona, and then they're at Chicago. And I feel pretty good about those pitchers this upcoming week. It's just those are guys that I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Fott's looked a lot better. Fott has looked a lot better after his... Second recall back up. So that's nice to see. Kevin, I need to ask you a question about Reagan's, uh, or as Nick Pollock calls them now, Ray Guns. Pew. <laughs> Got to give that call out there. Is there any chance, and I'm asking this solely for personal reasons, is there any chance that the Royals push either push his start back from Monday to Tuesday or 
go to a six-man rotation in order to... This guy, obviously, he's doing wonderful things. He's got two Tommy Johns under his belt. Is there any worry about that down the run, especially with your Royals, who obviously are not you know, buying for a playoff spot at this time? Are we worried about them stretching that? And I ask this because I would love for him to get pushed back one day so that he gets the two start next week instead of this week. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I understand where you're coming from, and that would be a nice luxury to have. But Kansas City just doesn't have guys to throw out there. In spite of what Jordan Lyles has done on Friday night, Jordan Lyles is going to throw 200 innings of horrible pitching. <laughs> For the Kansas City Royals this season. And, and I am thankful for Jordan Lyles. That was his job. That's what they brought him in to do. We're going to send you out there six, seven, eight innings every time you pitch. We're going to get a couple of gems out of you. One of them being on Friday. The other came about a month ago. He's going to end up with two or three wins on the entire season. But this is the spot they're in. They don't have guys to run out there. I do not see them going to a six-man rotation. I don't see Reagan's getting pushed back. I think they're going to they're gonna keep throwing them out there. And hopefully, after two Tommy John surgeries, and he comes into 2024 nice and healthy. And this is, this is as big a shock to me as a Royals fan as it is to anybody else. Not that Reagan's is necessarily doing what he's doing, but the fact that... It seems that there was a change made in pitch mix when he moved from Texas to Kansas City. This isn't something I'm used to. I'm not used to guys getting better when they come to the Royals pitching staff. And so this is making me optimistic for some of the other guys in the rotation going forward. Possibly now I may be getting too carried away, but it is giving me a little bit of optimism. But back to your question no, I think he's going out there every fifth game. He's going out there every fifth game through September, and then he's going in the second round of the early drafts in October. <laughs> yeah, I think sure. it was Vlad Sedler that tweeted something about the 10th round earlier, and I was like, not in a draft I'm in. He's not going to be in the 10th. Yeah, Steve Jaswelli, our friend of the show and co-host of uh, Wins Above Fantasy, he, he tweeted out in the Discord, tweeted out he discorded out i don't know if that's a term he's looking forward to drafting reagan's as his sp1 next year so we'll uh, see if that hype continues throughout the month and then into drafts all right kevin is there anybody else even worth talking about we talked about cole reagan's but who else you might you be eyeing this week who would be readily available to get you some winter case yeah, I think I think Darius Vines in Atlanta is going to get a couple more starts. It will depend on this is Kyle Wright's spot. Hopefully, once they get to the postseason, and hopefully for Atlanta, he's getting close. But I think Darius Vines is going to get St. Louis and Pittsburgh this week. A couple of nice matchups for a guy that came in and had a, a very impressive six innings in his debut. Not a big, it, his strikeouts haven't been there as much this year in the minors as they have been in the past, but he does have that pedigree as being a high strikeout pitcher as well. So anytime I can get somebody starting for the Atlanta Braves and with the runs that they're scoring, and if he went six innings in his debut, then he can obviously go five. 
against a couple of teams that haven't been putting a ton of runs on the board. Chasing wins, I'll take Darius Vines uh, for a couple of opportunities this week. Yeah, as you mentioned, the matchups don't get much better when you are a starting pitcher for Atlanta on top of that, for sure. All right, let's get away from the counting stats, move to the ratios. Don't need to say it again, so I won't. Ratios can move. Keep an eye on them. Sam, who who can help you move those ratios in the right direction this week and maybe throughout the rest of September? So there's a couple of long relievers that I really that have gotten come from a couple different spots. Michael King with the Yankees have, has come up from, I don't want to say the glob because that seems to be this word that people aren't using anymore or use only specially <laughs> when describing things. But he's or we're arguing at, about who started the term, right? Yeah, he's come up out of the primordial ooze, so to speak. <laughs> the tar pits of the bullpen at the bottom of the bullpen of the Yankees. Anyway, he is, he's been in a very stabilizing force for that pitching rotation and he's done a really good job limiting hits and walks which you obviously need for whip and he's not giving up a lot of runs and you need that for era so if you get three or four innings a couple times a week from him you might not get wins he does seem to strike out about a batter an inning so it's not that he's going to kill you on k's but he's not 10 or 11 or a 12k an inning pitcher he's not going to jump you so to speak but i really like him and then sean Manaya, who was last year for me i was real excited about the season he was going to have with the giants this year fell apart as a starter at the beginning of the year he's been reborn in middle relief and he's actually had a really good run the last month so i'm i like both of those players yeah, it's nice when Manaya gets a, an opener in front of him as well. He can sneak into that win opportunity right. as well. King seems to be sh- being stretched out as a true starter at the moment. And the Yankees don't have much of a choice <laughs> in doing that with their <laughs> current situation. So it'd be nice to see him in his more what we expect to see him in that middle relief role, as you mentioned, again, if he were to be the first man up and still going three to four, maybe even five innings to steal that win opportunity as few and far between they may be for the Yankees the rest of the way, it'd still be nice for him. Either way, he's going to, the whole point of this is cut into those ratios. So good call outs there. If these guys are still available in your leagues, Kevin, who else would you be eyeing? We are typically eyeing these middle relievers, but I see you got a starter on here. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesse Schultens of the Chicago White Sox, and uh, he'd been pitching really well, and he had to start at Coors Field, and I believe it was the day we were recording, and he ran into some trouble, as we might expect, and I think pretty much everybody that had him rostered probably threw him right back in their lineup to face the Oakland Athletics, and he gave up five earned runs again. And so he was on all of our benches or dropped when he went at Baltimore. And then he went over, went into the sixth inning, giving up one earned run. Although not any strikeouts, we didn't miss out on much. (laughs) However, in the ratios category, we don't necessarily need this, those strikeouts. He will get us some. He gets to pitch at Kansas City and at Detroit this week. 
And I expect him to go right back into that the period just a couple of weeks back when he pitched very well at Texas, at Cleveland, and against Milwaukee, giving up six runs in 18-plus innings over that time. That's what I'm looking for this week against the Royals and Tigers. And the opposite of Darius Vines, he's pitching for the White Sox. So I do not expect any wins. And that is why he's in the ratios category, category. not in the wins and Ks category. Regardless of those matchups. Yeah. But we talk about that all the time as well. The volume goes, the volume doesn't only help you with your strikeouts and your wins. The lar- the longer you pitch, the bigger impact those ratios have. So here's hoping that he goes six in both of those starts and doesn't give up any runs because, again, it can work the other way around as well. If he does go back to the start in, o- in Oakland and he gives up five runs, we could all get gombered once again. So th- these are the risks you always take with a two-start pitcher pickup in FAB in general regardless of whether or not you're going for the ratios or you're going for the counting stats and regardless of matchups, baseball is weird. Baseball is weird. Sometimes let's move into the bullpen specifically here with our final pitching category, guys. Of course, we're talking about saves. There are still opportunity to make up ground in this category. Sam, if you are trying to, what are you, what are you looking to grab in the saves category off the wire? There was a week during the last week and a half, Anthony Moon or sorry, Andres Munoz showed some real instability in the ninth inning and the Mariners turned to Justin Topa to get a save during that time. And Munoz has kind of regained some of his stability for pitching. He seems to be staying calm and not necessarily blowing up, but if there's any problems in the Mariners bullpen, I'd want to have Topa on my roster because I think he's the next man up in that situation. They've got a lot of really fun and impressive arms down there, but he's the one I think that's going to close for him if there's any problems with Munoz. And they have a lot of games coming up, so Munoz might not get every opportunity. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to see a situation like Topa, who's the obvious next man up, on a winning ball team with a lot of games coming up, even though they have what is pretty much a set closer with Munoz versus you might have somebody on your wire like a Trevor May might be available. who is still a set closer, but on a team that doesn't win any games, they might, there's a world in which these guys get the same amount of save opportunities through the rest of the month. And so it's something to be something to consider when you're like, I, I mean, one of my leagues, it's like the trade deadline came and passed and it's like these teams that were holding these closers on bad teams and they're trying to sell them off at the deadline couldn't find a buyer because you just realize like, what's the point here? If I can get maybe a save opportunity a week, if I'm lucky, they still have to convert it on a bad team. And so it is something to be said about these guys who are the obvious next man up versus even a Jojo Romero, who everybody's loving right now, who's the, quote, set closer in St. Louis, how many opportunities is he actually going to get and how many of them will he convert the rest of the way versus a guy like Topa, who very well may get the same amount. Yeah, to oh, that absolutely. point, Adam, I went looking earlier at the White Sox. I was like, well, how's Santos doing? Who else would be in line if he didn't? And 
I, I scrolled back several days and they haven't even had a save opportunity. So I quit, I quit looking. I didn't even look at who was, who would be next. Oh, yeah. Mike it might Carter. not I'm even so matter. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prayers to you, Mike Carter. We love you. Yeah, yeah we do. Exactly. <laughs> Kevin, if you were looking in the White Sox and you didn't find anything, did you find anybody anywhere else worth, uh, worth targeting? What's intriguing to me is the entire Texas Rangers bullpen situation. So Will Smith had his struggles. They went to Aroldis Chapman. He struggled and not only struggled, knowing his history. And I think everybody agrees. He just quit on the Yankees last season. His blown save the other night. I don't believe it was a save opportunity. He came in. He got the loss. The game was tied because Jose LeClerc had actually gotten the save opportunity in the ninth and he blew it, which is right. Everybody they've tried is blowing up in Texas. I think the Texas offense is going to keep them in this race in the American league West. One of these guys is going to have to come out on top. We know Will Smith had the upper hand and he had the history with Bruce Bochy and he struggled and he actually has more availability in NFBC leagues than Aroldis Chapman. Number one, that surprised me. Aroldis Chapman in the game the other night, so 10th inning, runner on second, intentionally walk the polar bear. That makes some sense against the Mets. So runners on first and second, nobody out, intentional walk. Then he walked another hitter that he was ahead in the count one and two on. First pitch to DJ Stewart, right nailed him right in the back. It, and it, it almost, if it wasn't a tie game with the bases loaded, you would swear that this pitch was intentional. And I'm not so sure it wasn't. I'm not so sure it was Chapman just said, I can't even get a save here. It's a tie game. We still need three outs. I'm ready to go home. I am serious. It looked that blatant. Yeah. So I disagree the with you, Kevin. is a mess. <laughs> it really looked like he hit DJ Stewart intentionally with the bases yeah. loaded and nobody out. I, I think it's probably going to go back to Will Smith here, but I, the other guy that I would go ahead and grab and is readily available is Jose Leclerc. I think he's probably going to get the next shot other than Will Smith ahead of a role Chapman after the last couple of games. Yeah, it's a good call. Yeah, that's a, it's quite the situation that we find them in at this time. All right, well, that's a situation to monitor and make your own decisions there. But uh, and that's where we're Leclerc at. Leclerc was supposed right? to be the guy, right? Leclerc was supposed to be the guy before right. Will Smith came. We came. and we haven't had a lot of turnover. Yeah, and there's only four weeks to go. This is where we're at. If we're trying, if we're still yes, speculating. We're, we're still speculating on saves because situations haven't changed hands so it's crazy yeah of course the change is already made but miami tanner scott was the obvious choice to take over when robertson was removed from that role he picked up the win today on friday but he's got a save in there as well so for whatever reason no your league didn't jump on him on sunday make sure that you are checking to see if he's still out there all right. Last category here. Again, I always say it's my favorite category because it's fun. I know we're past stashing season, Kevin, but w- who are you looking at in this wild card section for any particular reason? It might be a player that just didn't fit into any of the categories we talked about. Somebody you just want to roster. 
a player that I have rostered in most, if not all of my dynasty leagues. And I think he's going to be a fine major league player. He's had a great three seasons in the minor leagues, just taking one step at a time, a more traditional route, taking a level each season, maybe two overlapping a little bit. And that's Nick Lofton in Kansas City. I enjoyed watching him play when he was still at Baylor. I'm a big college baseball fan as well. Many know that. And he had his major league debut on Friday, went two for three with a run, RBI, and a walk. The reason I'm putting this in the wild card is we need to keep tabs on this the rest of the weekend and see what the playing time is going to be like for him. He was the designated hitter on Friday. He can play a nice center field. Kyle Isbell was in the lineup in center field on Friday. So this is uh, the reason I have him as a wild card is to take a, a look at this lineup over the next couple of days, Saturday and Sunday, and see what the playing time looks like. If Nick Lofton looks like he's going to be in the lineup on a near everyday basis, he can be a help to fantasy teams, both with moderate power and speed. He doesn't do either exceptionally well. He has stolen a lot more bases in the past, but at AAA, he only had seven bases so far this season. He did miss some time with injury, but uh, he has stolen close to 30 bases in the past. But he does a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, a little bit of everything, and he could be a help in deeper leagues down the stretch. Yeah, like you said, batted DH in the eight spot for your Royals today in his debut. Went two for three, scored a run, got an RBI, took a walk. So a little bit of everything in his debut. That's fun to see. And the Royals, to be outshined by Cincinnati, have still had their fair share of fun up-and-coming players come up throughout the course of the season as well between last year and this year. So Lofton's just the kind of the latest, if you will. Yeah, and they're at home for the first half of the week. The Royals, this actually surprised me. They score almost five runs per game when they play at home. And that's... Kaufman in general, right? We all know that it's a horrible home run ballpark, bottom five in Major League Baseball, but it's a top five ballpark in run scored. And that includes for Kansas City themselves. They score, I think it's 4.7 runs per game at home on the season. Crazy. I don't think many people would realize that. When you put a 13 spot, that helps the average go up a little bit. Oh, maybe we're at five now. <laughs> All right, Sam, going to close this out here. The wild card section is, is a fun one. You could pretty much go whatever direction you want here. So who might you be eyeing that doesn't really fit anywhere else? This isn't a real eyeing. This is just a shout out to Andres Chaparro, who's a third base prospect of New York, and also a shout out to Asher, who I met at first pitch. I don't know if he's still with pitchers list or not, pitcher list or not, but we've had a mutual admiration society for that player. And with all of the youth that the Yankees called up with all of those players that they had called up, I was expecting to see Andres Chaparro. I was expecting to get to rejoice and it's not going to happen. And again, I hate the Yankees and everything Yankee. And no, I'm looking forward to just the next five weeks. My, my team is actually playing baseball. And so it's, the fantasy aspect of it, I'm trying to just let take care of itself. And I'm not looking for that that un that unhidden gem because I'm too focused in on making sure I'm watching and listening to the Mariners. So that's there it fair. Is. That's and you know what? I can respect that more than yeah, most things. Yeah. Sorry, we we very rarely have this 
thing going for us. So I don't, I want to act like I've been here before, but I've never been here before. Really not usually. So here it is. There you go. Live it up. Enjoy it. That's right. Baby. All right. Those, we got a lot of good players for your consideration. Kevin closes out here though, with any other added bonus tips or recommendations that you might have for those making the stretch run in their fantasy leagues through the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Plug your ears, Adam. Come and join Sam and me and hundreds of others in Arizona here in less than two months now. It is an absolute blast. I can't wait. Just keep getting the emails now. That we're, yeah. we're getting email already, updates. Already getting, registered. Uh, getting the emails from uh, Ryan Bloomfield, him and Casey Bubba doing their golf outing again this year. Yeah. And it is an absolute blast. If you're on the fence, don't be. Don't go ahead and jump over the fence and come on down. If you've ever awkwardly pulled out your phone in an elevator and wanted to show the person next to you your fantasy baseball roster and realize that you can't do that because nobody on the planet cares about your roster, you're literally surrounded by hundreds of people that are like, I want to see that. Pull it out and show me. That looks great. So it's the best weekend if you love fantasy baseball. Kevin is absolutely telling the truth. That was an interesting way of putting that, Sam, and I can appreciate that. And with all that being said, yeah, I listen to every word, Kevin. I can take it. One of these years, things will change, and I, I will make it out there. And hopefully, One of these years, I'm bringing two bottles of Whistle Pig. Yeah. <laughs> and then hopefully you guys are still there when I finally make it out there. But from everything I've seen, heard, whatever, th- these guys are not blowing smoke. It's the real deal. It's everything that it's it's and it just keeps getting better bigger and better every single year especially since uh covid took over that that one season and as you alluded to earlier adam as the world series is still going on we will be doing 2024 fantasy baseball drafts that's right there yeah yes before the season is even over All right, guys, that is going to wrap it up for episode 130 of On The Wire. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spilled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. Once again, thank our guest Sam Worshing for joining us. Make sure you're following him if you're not already at SamFB1. And for everything he does, check that out. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. And we bid you goodbye. Peace and love.